Hello, Mama, and welcome to the Healing After Birth podcast. This is Jennifer Sommerfeld, your host, creator, and author of the Healing After Birth program. In today's episode, I have with me Jen Fontaine, who has been supporting the families of Winnipeg as a birth doula and childbirth educator since 2002. Over the years, while supporting families, Jen has made education a priority. She has achieved Dona International Certification as both a birth and postpartum doula, became a Dona International Birth Doula Trainer, a certified Lamaze Educator, and accredited Lamaze Program Director. In 2016, Jen was given the honor of being inducted as an FACCE Fellow of the Academy of Certified Childbirth Educators a fitting recognition of her significant contribution to childbirth education and her effort to promote safe and healthy birth through evidence-based practices. Currently, Jen has shifted her focus to include a trauma-informed approach to her education. Specifically, she is an instructor of when survivors give birth. Jen is passionate about passing along her knowledge to families and other doulas, knowing that she is learning just as much from them. Currently, she lives in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, with her husband, Mark, and her four amazing kids, along with two drooling bulldogs, George and Scarlett. You can learn more about Jen and her offerings at itsbirth.ca or birthrootsdoulas.com. You can find these links in the bio of this episode. So I want to welcome Jen to our show. Welcome, Jen. Thanks so much. I'm so glad that you're here and you truly are a wealth of information. And I know that this is something that is deeply passionate to you, just supporting moms and families, both throughout the entire childbirth continuum. But to begin, I want to speak to you about your more recent endeavors, in particular, why you've decided to become an educator and support moms with when survivors give birth? Well, this actually came about very odd, I felt for me, I had heard about the course when survivors give birth, which is based on a book written by Penny Simpkin and Phyllis Klaus. And I, you know, thought, oh, that's really interesting. Um, it's a topic that I heard mom say to me in the past, you know, I'm having these issues in these flashbacks, these, you know, concerns about the birth process and never really put the connection together. I read the book and was amazed at how many things we do in childbirth that can be so triggering hmm. for abuse survivors. Mm-hmm. It started then on this trail of how does this really affect parents in the pregnancy, the birth, the postpartum period. I grew up in a home that took in foster kids my entire life and knew a lot about how trauma impacted children. Hmm. I saw, you know, the long term effects of trauma. I saw, you know, how therapies and different uh, things can help children. But surprisingly, in all of my birth work, never really connected those things together Mm -hmm. and saw how can this actually continue into the pregnancy and the birth and the postpartum period. 
so it was really a light bulb moment for me when I realized, you know, how have I never made this connection? And it's something that I became incredibly passionate about. And because I am so open about this course and I, everybody that I come in contact with in a, you know, class of, of 10 couples or individual doula clients, I mentioned this course and how abuse survivors can be impacted. Um, I have so many people then open up to me and talk mm. to me about past trauma, not just sexual abuse, but trauma as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, they say, I, I've been having some nightmares. These things have come up. I've never thought about them for years. And so it really spoke to me about the importance of talking about this topic so these people don't feel completely alone and like there's something wrong with them because this is such a vulnerable time in their lives. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that. I, I, I mean, I, I also read when survivors give birth quite a few years ago and similar to you was quite floored that these links had not been made, especially within the mainstream um, uh, the like the mainstream environment mm-hmm. uh, for birth professionals that there is this real separation that occurs and yet as you just said this is one of the most vulnerable times of a of a woman's life and so much of that material can come to the surface absolutely so before we get into that a couple things i just want to pause and acknowledge the the tenderness the vulnerability the potential for triggers as we engage in this conversation um, because the conversation and the topic itself is one that merits that kind of attention and also invites us to slow down as we unpack some of this material but can you tell us what exactly is when survivors give birth and what you offer? Mm -hmm. So this course is an eight, nine hour course. And what we, it's actually for birth professionals. So it's for doctors, midwives, nurses, doulas, childbirth educators, really people that are working with survivors. And so it takes us just looking, starting to kind of look at is this something we need to talk about? You know, uh, what are the rates of, of sexual abuse? Is this something that that's important? And people often hear statistics like one in three women are sexually assaulted in their lifetime, but they don't, again, connect that to, does that matter for birth? Mm-hmm. So we hear all of these statistics. So we talk a little bit about, about that and what, you know, the importance of it, that it's really in every community every group of people. It is not just, um, you know, one group of people that have to be concerned about sexual abuse. It is something that is across all nationalities, all groups of people. So Mm. it it starts out just kind of almost convincing people that this is something we have to pay attention to. Mm. This, This happens. There are, of course, other types of abuse that affect how, um, you know, people deal with trauma. We're looking at even something like economical abuse Mm -hmm. that lots of people don't talk about. And we may be saying to people, here's a bunch of resources, but those resources might be unattainable for somebody. They may not have the money to go buy this book. They might not have the money to see this therapist. So just really digging into 
there's a need to talk about trauma. Mm -hmm. There's a need to help people through this trauma. Why? I'm just going to interject there, Jen. Why do you think that there is this separation and this need that we even have to engage in the conversation of trying to convince birth professionals that they need to consider these factors? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, My initial thought as you asked that is I think for very many years, we've kind of lived and tried to keep people in this bubble that pregnancy, birth and postpartum is supposed to be this most joyous occasion. Hmm. And everything about it is positive. And maybe if we acknowledge that there's some really hard things in this time, everybody would crumble, (laughs) Hmm. you know, instead of, instead of us looking at it as, wow, we really need to support families more. It's almost like people have just said, no, 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 we're not going to talk about that because that's negative. Let's just keep to the birth is amazing and you should feel happy in all times kind of thing. Hmm. You know, that's my initial thought. Um, Hmm. and, And we're finally, I think, starting to say, wait a second. Nope, we need support through this pregnancy. You know, postpartum mood disorders was only ever talked about postpartum. And now we're looking at, no, that can be pregnancy as well. Um, Postpartum anxiety that is higher than postpartum depression, but yet we don't really talk about that very often. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like maybe as people, as moms have risen up and said, I struggled, I needed help. People started saying, well, me too. Well, me too. So maybe collectively we need to start dealing with the fact that it's not just sunshine and roses all the time, that there's some really hard stuff we're dealing with in this period. Hmm. Hmm. And here are some supports, some services, some skills, some tools that can help prepare you so that you can rise above, like you can move through it without it completely destroying you. Right. Because it's not all just, here's the facts, now go home and be depressed, right? <laughs> we mm-hmm. have to look at, there. there's hope, there's things that we can do, there's things that families can do to acknowledge and work through so that instead of feeling, you know, re-traumatized by birth mm-hmm. and postpartum, mm-hmm. people can feel triumphant, people can feel like, wow, look how amazing I am, I worked through this incredibly hard thing. I have a community of support. I don't need to be an island to be, Mm. you know, successful and happy. I don't know where that idea started that we have to be super mom and we have to do it all ourselves. And that makes us powerful because that's not what we see makes people powerful. When you have this amazing group of people around you, professionals and friends and support, that's when we're like, okay, that's what we need in our society. Mm -hmm. So going back to the program, you said that it's specifically for birth professionals. And the first part is that we need to look at almost opening up the possibility that we're taking into consideration that there's this continuum, that there's this spectrum, that this person has a past and a present and a future, Mm -hmm, (laughs) uh right? And so we need to um, look at all of that. And and it's important to understand how historical trauma can um, show up in the labor and postpartum period. And this is something I'm passionate about as well, that you know, my approach and understanding through the lens of neurobiology and trauma theory is that that stuff doesn't go away. It is, it is in our cellular um, 
imprint. <laughs> yeah. And it has the potential to be expressed in pregnancy and postpartum. Absolutely. That doesn't mean it will, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many factors to take into consideration in regards to one's vulnerabilities, what symptoms might be expressed, how much they can tolerate before those symptoms become, you know, they, that they become dysregulated. Like there's a lot to take into consideration. So it's important to recognize that we're not labeling and stamping somebody. If you have this historical experience, it will show up in your labor, birth, and postpartum. That's not, I know, what you're saying. Right. Absolutely. So, so my next question is, once you've you know, had the conversation about why this is important, what are the biggest takeaways that you're hoping that these birth professionals add to their toolbox to support families? Right. So when we're looking at uh, the birth specific. So we start then moving on to how does this show up in birth? Mm. You know, it may be extreme modesty. It may be just wanting, you know, pain medication from before they feel anything. It may mean needing you know, a control over everything that's happening in that room. Mm-hmm. Then we really want people to start to recognize that even if what this person is saying or doing doesn't make sense to us, they have a very good reason. Mm-hmm. for behaving or saying what they are doing. And so instead of engaging in, in a battle of this is what you have to do right now, we can just step back, take a breath, regulate ourselves mm-hmm. because we know if you know we're trying to talk to somebody who's upset, the more upset we are, <laughs> the more that's just going to escalate. So trying to just, you know, talk over somebody and trying to force somebody to do something is not going to be helpful. That is going to re-traumatize somebody. Mm -hmm. So taking a look at how are we reacting, why are we reacting the way that we are reacting, (laughs) and then helping them through. Can we explain things? Can we change the way that things are always done so that it works for this mom? So really Mm -hmm. just looking at our behavior, our words. Mm-hmm. Many times we hear things in, in the birth room that are saying, if you just relax, it won't hurt so much. This can be incredibly triggering for somebody who has heard that in times of their life, mm-hmm. you know, that they were being traumatized. So when we're repeating those words, um, you know, often we hear good girl to this grown woman who is birthing a baby. So just really looking at the language, why do we do the things that we do in this time and how can we lessen the stress on this mom? Control is hard. We, we can't control everything in this birth process. We know that. We can't control everything in the postpartum process. We, we know that as well. But what can we do that gives this mom the support to feel like however this birth is going to play out, I have choices. I feel supported. I have a voice in what's Mm. happening right now. That really becomes our, our focus. Then of course, because I'm obsessed with the newborn period and, and parents listening to their babies and attaching and holding their babies, I have to put, you know, something in there where people start attuning to their babies and knowing it's okay to meet their needs and knowing it's okay to hold their babies and hug their babies Mm. and you know that sort of thing because we again moved away from that in society 
where people started saying, you don't want to do that with your baby. You're going to spoil your baby. So I feel like if we can teach people the needs of these newborns, then we're going to build healthier societies. Again, Mm -hmm. this attachment, this Mm -hmm. connecting with other families, the supports around this postpartum period. So we're not left with that island of isolation again. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, there's lots there. I really heard how important it is that the the birth professional and the caregiver understands that the power, the choice, and the voice, mm-hmm. you know, need to be um, handed back over to the mom and the family who's in labor. Mm-hmm. And so, how are you know? In what ways? Do you see, and I guess in both your experience as a doula supporting families, um, and then also in your experience as an educator, you know, how have you seen this done? Handing the power and the control of choice and the voice over to that mother and that family. So really, it starts with education. It starts with what are the options? What is a realistic view of this birth? So many people are disconnected from what birth really looks like. All people hear is horror stories about birth. What we see on TV is chaos all the time. So we really want to let people know what's happening within your body. Why are you feeling potentially what you're feeling in this birth? What's going on with baby? What are the range of emotions? So just really normalizing birth for people. Hmm. Then we start looking at hospital procedures. So what happens when you first get to the hospital? What are things that they will always want to do? Like listen to baby's heart rate, for example. What are some, some things that are more of an option? Like putting on a hospital gown. Is that something that makes you feel like, okay, good. I'm not going to get my clothes dirty. Or does it make you feel like, no, I feel very exposed. I feel much more vulnerable. I feel like, um, you know, I'm a patient now instead of my own voice. Well, then maybe we can look at wearing your own clothes in the Mm. hospital. Um, And so just really exploring every step of this process, knowing that there has to be some flexibility. We can't come up with this birth plan. You know, know, maybe Mm -hmm. more of this, These are things that are important to me. And what are the things that we can do? So a mom might say, I am extremely afraid of needles. I can't see me saying okay to an IV. Well, that's great if all is going amazingly well during this labor and that's not normal protocol in her hospital. It's not great if mom develops high blood pressure or has a medical need arise that an IV becomes the right choice. So we can look at, instead of saying, never would I say yes to an IV, in what circumstances might they be needed? And how can we make that more tolerable for you? What would you need to know ahead of time? What are the kind of words that might help you be calm? What kind of self-regulating things can you use during this time when that IV is being placed? So it's not about avoiding everything. It's more about, do I have different tools to feel like I can still handle, I can still be empowered, I can still have a voice, even when it's not the perfect ideal birth that I have planned. Hmm. Hmm. You mentioned self-regulation, and 
I'm curious if you speak or teach about the value and the need of co-regulation and that the caregiver can be that anchor for that mom. Yes. So in the kind of, I have two split things that I do. One is actually working with the families and then one is training the people that are working with the families as well. So other mm-hmm. doulas, other childbirth educators. Um, so I honestly didn't know very much about the importance of the person who's dealing with the family. I didn't really put a lot of importance that they themselves had mm-hmm. to be that anchor. They <laughs> themselves had to be regulated that, you know, even putting some rhythm, can we walk with somebody when we're talking to them? So that just helps them have that rhythm, which is so important for people to be able to feel more calm. Can we, you know, sit on a birth ball while we're having a conversation? You know, how can you be that anchor for that person? How can they look to you and know that you kind of have their back during these conversations? What kind of things can you say? Like, if you see a person getting upset, you've talked about this prenatally, and you could look to them to say, do you need a moment to think about this choice? And just what, you know, so that you can be that anchor, you can be that calming part. You can say, you know, eye to eye contact might be appropriate in this time. Taking a moment to breathe together, taking a moment to just walk down the hall and come back. What kind of things can you do to help this mom feel like, oh, yes, you and I are in this together? And how do you incorporate the partner? So the partner's incredibly important. Um, And the partner, interesting enough, when we look at, you know, abuse rates, we're often focusing because we're talking about childbirth we're often talking about uh, you know people who identify as women at this time mm-hmm. but there also is you know a high percentage of of boys and men who have been abused and dealt with trauma as well or experienced trauma and may or may not have really dealt with that trauma mm-hmm. so sometimes the partner and their past experiences are really brought into this time as well and that I don't know has really been recognized Um, so it is something to really look at and you sometimes partners will just, you know, blurt out prenatal. She needs to have the epidural. She needs to have the epidural. And you're thinking, you know, what is it? Why does he feel so strongly about this? So the importance of really those communications before labor, how do you feel about these things? You know, Mm -hmm. birth can bring up a whole range of emotions. You know, do you have support? Do you feel that I can support you through this time? Can you look at me and we can say, you know, do you want to go take a walk down the hall, grab a cup of coffee and come back and just really help support them so that they can have their emotions taken care of as well? We've really ignored partners in the birth. You know, Mm -hmm. we as doulas have said, yes, we support partners, but we haven't really looked at what are their unique needs? Why are they behaving and acting the way that they're behaving and acting in birth? That's the number one thing, actually, that TV portrays clearly about birth is that partners, specifically fathers at birth, are dumb. They don't know how to handle birth. They're going to panic. They're going to freak out. And in reality, that's, they're amazing. They are absolutely amazing. And you see so much love and you see them want to support this mom, but sometimes feel like, I don't know how, or this is bringing up too many emotions for me. I need to kind of just step back a moment and be okay myself before I can continue this support. Hmm. 
Yeah, partners is it's an important conversation to have, even not just during birth, but also in the postpartum. And I often get questions of, you know, how can I inform my partner about what I'm going through in the postpartum? Mm -hmm. And, you know, how can that person support me better and understand that I'm I'm not crazy and you know that what is being expressed is most likely a trauma response and here's ways in which you can help right absolutely absolutely and then recognizing the other side that their response might be a trauma mm-hmm. response totally so, you know, just that that family centered healing mm-hmm. that family centered open communication and we often learn from, you know, what our parents did. And if the parents were not talkers, then those families might not ever talk about those emotions. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times a mom and a dad, I've said, how are you doing? And they're like, nobody's really asked us that. (laughs) It's all about how's the baby doing or, you know, what's going on today, but not really, how are you doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) in this time? It's something that as a society, we again want to kind of pretend that it's just supposed to be sunshine and rainbows. So let's not talk about how they're really doing because we might open a can of worms. And sometimes truthfully, doulas will say, then what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know where to go with that conversation, which is why knowing good resources in the community is so important so that you can refer them to somebody who gets it. Mm-hmm. In the program, when survivors give birth, do you speak about the postpartum period? Absolutely. Yes. And almost it's become more of a passion for me, this postpartum period than than even the birth. Um, Just because I see so many families struggling. So many families that are afraid to ask for help, even if they recognize that they need help. What is that going to see? And I think that that comes from social media. Hmm. And Pinterest, (laughs) I always tell people as as lovely as Pinterest might be, get off of Pinterest. I I seriously had somebody say to me in the postpartum period, she was so upset. Her baby was four weeks old and she said, I haven't made my baby announcements yet. And I said, that's okay. That's okay. You know, why do you feel that that's important? And she said, I see these moms make these baby announcements and they're all by hand. And they're all beautiful. And, you know, they're making the paper themselves. And, and I thought, you know, we're almost going back to, did I plant the tree to make the paper? To make, you know? And I thought, it is, I said to her, but is it really important to you? Do you feel like you would like to carve some time to do that? Or do you feel that what you're doing with your baby by holding your baby is more important? And she said, well, when I think about it, it's not. But I feel like society is saying we need to do these things. We need to be elaborate cake bakers. We need to be elaborate (laughs) crafters. We have to do everything and look amazing and just always, you know, it's crazy. The realistic expectations are not there. Mm -hmm. Um, So just really helping people reframe this postpartum period. What are really important in this time? What really is important? Uh, You know, that our core needs, are they being met in this time? Are you taking a moment for self-care every day? And self-care has kind of become this buzzword, I feel, that people think, well, self-care means I went out and bought an $800 purse and I went and spent a day at the spa, where really self-care can be taking a shower, hmm. listening to your favorite song, 
napping. Going for a walk. Yes, taking a nap. <clears throat> Dear Lord, naps are amazing. Yes. <laughs> My kids are well past the age of me needing to nap because they're keeping me up at night. But a nap is lovely. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm. Well, you bring up a, a big conversation that we could be having about social media. And maybe that's another podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the impact that social media is having in the postpartum. I'm quite fascinated by it simply because, you know, when I had my children, uh, I didn't have the internet and I obviously didn't have social media. So I had physical community Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm, you know, we're kind of off on a tangent, but I am very curious and I don't know if there's any data to support this to learn whether or not social media has isolated us more and removed that, in-person community because Mm -hmm. it's so accessible online right I mean it's I my guess on that just based on communities not even in the pregnancy would be absolutely Mm um moms are more connected but more disconnected than ever and we're also getting really horrible advice (laughs) And, Mm. and you know where people are like oh no your baby should be sleeping through the night at two days old what is wrong with your baby you know Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of things that just really are, are dangerous and damaging for moms because people don't know enough about what is really normal for these little humans and, and what do their, what do their brains need to connect with their parents? Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a huge thing. So, you know, I've really kind of added near the end of the day in our, when survivors give birth, just about this postpartum and the needs and what is normal and how can we create child literate societies uh, so that we can have healthier societies and hopefully when we have healthier societies we can reduce some of these numbers of trauma that we're seeing and you know just starting from the very basics of, of, of listening and attuning to people and being kind and you know just those really basic things mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe that is in my little naive world going to change the world so that we won't have so many abuse survivors because mm-hmm. there won't be so much abuse that's, mm-hmm. that's my like idealistic little world that I, I want to live in that's what motivates you yes to absolutely. be doing to be yes. doing this work yeah absolutely so Jen how has it changed how you serve as a doula so the more you've become trauma informed I'm mm-hmm. curious what you've noticed in your experience as a doula and working with families and how it's changed you mm-hmm. so I would say I spend a considerable amount of time looking at those options like I talked about what kind of things make you feel safe? What does that look like to you? And so not really in a way of, can we tick off 20 boxes of things that you're afraid of in birth? But mm. what kind of things empower you? What kind of things make you feel like, you know what, I, I'm good with IVs. <laughs> I feel comfortable. Great. That's one less thing that we have to, you know, really be thinking about. And really considering opening that communication with the care providers. So I would never, of course, force somebody to say, you should tell your care provider that you are an abuse survivor or a trauma survivor in any way. But I can tell you that when I see it written out on perhaps a birth wish list or the mom explains this to the nurse at the hospital, I see a huge shift in care Hmm. where all of a sudden people are much more um, talking to her about those options. 
making sure that the door is always staying closed. You know, as people come in the room being much more gentle, of course, we would love to see that across the board. For I just want to mention that the hospital staff has such a tremendously hard job. I, I, you know, my hat is off to them. I don't know how they do what they do with the, the stress load, with the amount of, of work that they have to do every day. So I am not saying mm-hmm. that anybody does not come into that room with the want of helping this mom. That is not what I'm saying. I have so much respect for care providers. I'm saying it's such a difficult job to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes with the busyness, we we kind of forget that this mom might be doing this very few times in her life. It is not an everyday occurrence like the care providers see. Oh, we see birth every day. This mom is only going to give birth a handful of times in her life. So maybe we need to just take a breath. Maybe how can we just support this mom so she feels incredibly supported in this time? And so I'm just much more aware, I find, in the birth, how, checking in with the mom. How is she doing during this birth? What have we talked about prenatally that I can support her? And then, of course, postpartum. So we might need to debrief this birth. We always need to debrief the birth, but we might need more and we might need some outside support if there was things in the birth that were traumatizing for her. Mm-hmm. So how can we heal? I have to say that I really enjoyed your book. Uh, One of the things I loved about it is it wasn't an encyclopedia that is very difficult for families to read. It is, you know, like there's some books I'm like, that was a great book, but I barely made it through, you know. Mm. So I, I love that it is a book that somebody can read, a family can read and have useful tools. And it's just an easy but incredibly deep book at the same time. So, you know, it's a great resource for people because people need that. Even when they're well supported in the birth, lots of things can come up and birth can kind of go sideways. And then we need to deal with that afterwards as well. So I can be that person that can be calm when the care providers are so busy. I can be that person that that is listening to her at all times because that's my one focus. I don't have to focus on baby's heart rate and what's happening in that birth. I can just focus on her and her partner and support them through it. And I feel like I've just taken a step back from being an active all the time. Try this, try this. Mm. And more instead of a doula, more of a be la. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I am there. I'm listening so much more than my brain is trying to troubleshoot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember in the early days of my work as a doula and you know, I was trained to sit back and listen and be that presence and not do so much and mm-hmm. to, to interrupt the process. Um, but because that was quite contraindicative to what was what the trend was, which was yes. to have as many tricks up your sleeve that you can to help solve this problem and help get this baby out. Um, you know, there were times where I felt inadequate and there were times where moms felt like I wasn't doing enough because we weren't comfortable with that level of presence. Absolutely. Um, It's awkward at times. It it is. We're not used to that as society. We're not used to silence. Like (laughs) what? No. You have to fill in that silence. So yeah, it, it really has become... This doulas often will say to me, well, what other class should I take next? And and I'm all for learning. I Mm -hmm. am all about learning. But sometimes I think we're trying to 
sit there during the birth and just troubleshoot and think and think and think and oh I what about this and oh I didn't do that properly and I could have tried this instead of saying what are the mom's needs right now mm-hmm. can we just step back from all of the stuff mm-hmm. and just really hear her and just that that you know and I, be I, with I, her yes, and and in that being you know I think I'm hearing from what you're saying today and I'm and I'm imagining that through that trauma-informed lens offering that regulation so being that anchor is probably the greatest gift that you can offer in that Absolutely. space right I, and I completely agree yeah and and now that we have more information about our nervous system and about <laughs> the importance of of regulating and how if we're in an activated trauma response or what I call a toxic stress response, um, that we can help to calm that nervous system down just by being present with somebody, just mm-hmm. by touch, even touch alone. Um, with that presence can help to regulate the nervous system, which is exactly what you were saying about the postpartum and teaching moms to attune to their babies and how the most important uh, skill, I guess you could say the most important uh, thing that you can offer it to be a quote, good mom, because we're so afraid of being a quote, bad mom, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, is that if you can bring that attuning presence to your baby, you're helping both of you to regulate your nervous systems, which is the greatest thing that we can be doing. Absolutely. And it comes to that also giving ourselves some grace. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I often say to people, I'll hear moms in a mom group. One mom will say to another mom, it's okay that you kind of lost it yesterday. You know, you give yourself, forgive yourself. You're just normal. You know, (laughs) it's, it's all right. And then that same mom turns to me and says, I yelled at my child yesterday. And I think, but you just said an amazing thing to that mom. Mm. Give yourself that grace that, that you will make some mistakes and that's okay. (laughs) It's coming from a place of love. It's coming from a, you know, if once in a while we, you know, kind of lose it here and there, our kids are resilient because <laughs> of that attachment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because we have built that strong attachment, they will be okay. And then as they get older, you can actually say to them, wow, I was really crabby at that point yesterday. Hey, all of my kids are very quick to say, yes, mom, you were. <laughs> but you, you can have those and let your kids know I'm human. Sometimes I make mistakes and sometimes you'll make mistakes. And there's forgiveness in the world and there's grace that we can give each other. And and that's normal. And it's a safe environment to do that because we have that relationship that's been built. And, you know, what we know now is that it's in the repair that we're building the resilience. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was a statistic, I think it's the 70-30 statistic. So 30% of the time you're attuning. And 70% of the time we're repairing. Mm. And so that kind of alleviates the stress that I need to be in this, you know, constant state of attunement and presence and perfection (laughs) because we are not raised in a bubble. We are raised (laughs) in the human experience and it's all about being able to respond to those stressful circumstances and then learn how to regulate know what to do with all of that highly stressful information and come back into center. This is the skill building that life offers us, right? So repair is such an important part of parenting 
um, and entrainment. So I am curious if you have woven into your childbirth education program stuff from when survivors give birth. So are families getting this information as well? In the childbirth classes, it is touched upon. It, there's not, um, I don't go into great detail, but I do want people to be aware that past trauma can show up in pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, um, and, and that, you know, happens, and so I kind of let them know that, and making sure that they have those community resources to deal with it. My biggest problem with childbirth classes is people want the most amount of information in the shortest amount of time. Hmm. So childbirth classes kind of went from 12 weeks to nine weeks to six weeks to four weeks. <laughs> I mean, my most common class that I teach, and at first I actually refused to teach it because I thought I can't do justice. But then I realized a little bit is often better than nothing, but is a four hour one class, a private four hour class. Um, and so there's only so much that we can cover in that time, but because it is something that impacts so many people, it is something that I touch upon as much as I can. Hmm. If you were to wave a magic wand, <laughs> <laughs> what would you love to be able to share with families prenatally and postnatally? Hmm. That whatever you're feeling is okay. That our, our life is not made up of these separate little events. Things are connected together. And so sometimes, you know, if you're feeling something, there's a good reason. And there's reason to explore that. And to look at how can I be the healthiest me? And that might mean taking some more time for yourself. That might mean where can I carve an evening to go, you know, talk to people and look for a, a great book to read or, or taking care of myself because taking care of yourself is not selfish. It is the first thing that we need to do before we can start caring for others. So listen to what's coming up. Pay attention to what kind of things are running through your head. What kind of fears that you have. Sometimes people think I need to just get rid of all fears. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do a fear exercise and I'll just, that's it, put it aside. But if something's continually coming up, we need to pay attention to that. Uh, you are worth paying attention to that. You have, you know, there's so much value in each person. And sometimes that hasn't been their message through their life. They mm. haven't been told, take the time to value yourself. You are worth it. You have great things to say. You have amazing things about you. And so exploring, people sometimes will say, I have no skills. And I will say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that you have skills. What kind of things do you do when you're upset? Well, I blow up and then I realize this. Okay, so that then you realize something? That's amazing. That's powerful. Way to go. <laughs> we don't always recognize that we have that. You know, as much as I talk to people about taking a breath, stopping, looking around you, I can't tell you how I behave in traffic <laughs> because it takes me, you know, 10 minutes of freaking out before I realize, wait a second, Jen, you're going to get to that point at the same time, whether you get there and maybe even enjoying the view and taking a few breaths and, you know, really just, you know, meditating and thinking on things or whether you get there with high blood pressure, completely stressed out. Hmm. 
So people have skills. So just helping them realize their own value, their own what, what's happening in your head. Let's talk about that. It's important to deal with you and you feel okay and recognize that there's good days and bad days and all of that stuff. Accepting that self-acceptance before we move on to this parenting thing, um, <laughs> which I mean, it is really a pipe dream. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> that's where you know it, it's an everyday, it's an everyday thing. Nobody's arrived, right? Yeah. And and I like to tell people that everything I'm talking about is stuff I work on. It is not like oh I learned this so I'm arrived. You know, be like me. It's no, every single day, there's a conscious effort to say, wait a second, have I stopped and, and, and paid attention to what I'm feeling today in mm-hmm. my mind, in my body, you know, that sort of thing that um, is needed in life. Mm-hmm. That Thank was you. a very wordy roundabout kind of answer, I think. That's okay. It's <laughs> perfect. So currently, what are you actively engaged in? Are you attending births or teaching more? Um, I do both. I teach more than I attend births these days just because of schedule wise. And I often will get, you know, people will say, hey, can you fly out here and teach this class, which makes it difficult to have, you know, a a strong client base when I'm gone so often. Uh, But I still absolutely love the birth. (laughs) So I'm not I'm not willing to give that up. So I just take less of them. And I still teach childbirth classes weekly sometimes daily, (laughs) Uh, because I I love talking to families. And I feel like talking to families and and with families and listening to what their needs are really helps keep my teaching relevant. Because I might think people need to hear all about something. But really, when I'm dealing with families, and they're saying, no, 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 this is our needs. Mm. it, It keeps me connected to oh, That's what people are thinking. That's what people are going through. This is really what they need, not just I'm teaching something totally irrelevant to what the actual needs of the families are. So I I still connect with childbearing families. You know, I teach at least, like I said, once a week, sometimes up to three, four times a week. Hmm. I get lots of phone calls. I meet with people a lot. Um, I really not only want to stay grounded to what the needs are for my teaching, but I actually really love that. And I really Mm. thrive and it really energizes me to see families kind of say, okay, there is hope. It's normal what I'm feeling. Um, I I am an amazing person. I am going to be a great mom. Mm -hmm. We're so afraid of not being a great mom. And yes, we are. I said, you know, if, if you weren't asking these questions, you know, you're, the reason you're asking these questions is because you're going to be great. Look at you. <laughs> you care. And, that, mm-hmm. and that's what we need. We need, we need you to care. And you're, you're caring about these things. So that's so amazing that you're doing that. So I, I'm still very connected, I, I feel, to these moms giving birth. And I don't want to lose that. And if moms want to connect with you or birth professionals want to connect with you, the best, best place for them to do so would be? Usually, actually, text message is best. Okay. You yeah. probably don't want to put your phone number up on a podcast. But, um, you know, I, I guess it's funny because I was in Australia in November. I go to Australia every year um, and I teach out there. And there was 80 birth professionals in my When Survivors Give Birth class. Wow. And 90% of them were midwives and OBs, which... I felt so honored and humbled and just 
it, it was such a, an amazing thing. And yeah, I'm like, here's my number. Call me. <laughs> I just, I just, I, you know, so email, email's probably good. I'm not great at answering my phone because I'm always driving or teaching, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I, I will text people back. I will email people back. It is very important to me that, you know, people are finding um, what they need. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm more than happy to spend time every day just chatting with people and helping them find, you know, what they need in their own communities. Because I cannot be all to everyone. Mm-hmm. Goodness Lord, there's a whole lot I need to know still. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I am not, you know, the, the arrived person. Um, but I'm always willing to listen. And, and so listening and helping people find, okay, well now where can you go in your own community or what would be the next step for you? Because mm-hmm. I don't want people to feel like, oh, I need Jen to answer questions in my life. I don't want people dependent on me. I want people to feel like I can do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, what an amazing gift that you are bringing to families all over the world so thank you for doing the work that you're doing and I know that you've been been in it for a really long time so there is some wisdom there and although you may not have quote arrived (laughs) you definitely bring some grounded wisdom and truth so thank you for the work that you do and thank you Jen for coming on this podcast today oh you're very welcome it was it was really great to connect I've loved connecting with you Mm. Yes. So again, all of Jen's um, bio and her links and her email will be on the, um, the, what am I trying to say here? The podcast episode. (laughs) So for those of you who are interested in connecting more with Jen, you can find out about how to do that. And again, I'm so grateful for all the listeners tuning in to the Healing After Birth podcast podcast.